Each year, thousands of thought leaders across every industry descend upon Austin, Texas, bringing with them the latest innovations and ideas from around the world. This is Market Scale at South by Southwest. Welcome to the second episode of Market Scale's South by Southwest podcast series. This is the second of three episodes, and on today's episode, we're going to be talking to Track Lord, the director of communications from Mark Forged, learning more about metal 3D printing. We're also going to talk to Diedrich Fjellstad, the vice president of marketing for Scandinavian Airlines. He's going to explain to us what some of their initiatives are and how they're spreading their values all around the world. And finally, we're going to talk to Dimitrios Psaltis. He's a project scientist for the Event Horizon Telescope Project. We're going to learn about what he's doing to try to take the first photo of a black hole. It's going to be pretty exciting stuff. So you're going to want to hear what these thoughts leaders have to say coming up next on the market scale south by southwest podcast three-dimensional printing has become a larger topic at south by southwest over the last few years the technology has captured the attention of industries from construction to healthcare and everything in between track lord Mark Forge, Director of Communications, described how the company is innovating with 3D printed metal parts for factory floors, enabling businesses to operate at maximum capacity. He also spoke about how the company has pioneered carbon fiber printing and its implications to manufacturing businesses. Mark Forged is also up for an Innovation Award at South by Southwest 2019, and Lord spoke to MarketScale about why the company was nominated. All right, joining me now at South by Southwest here for the Market Scale Podcast is Track Lord. He's the director of communication at Mark Forge. Thank you so much for joining me today, Track. Thanks so much for having me. So explain to me a little bit more about what you guys do. So uh, Mark Forge is an industrial 3D printer manufacturer. And uh, 3D printing, uh, most people have seen it around for a long time. Yeah. It's been around for probably a few decades in, in various forms. But what MarkForge did is they took the idea of kind of a desktop format, like something the size of a kitchen appliance. Mm -hmm. And uh, one, make it affordable. And two, uh, the idea that you can actually print usable parts on this type of machine. And that more or less did not exist. Uh, most, even today, most uh, industrial 3D printing machines um, would probably take up uh, about half the size of this like area that we're in right now. Yeah. They're just million, million dollar machines. They require hazmat suits to operate. You're talking about serious manufacturing, great equipment, um, super expensive and, and a very tough barrier to entry for you know, any, anyone trying to like, start to embrace this technology. Sure. MarkForge set out to change that, you know, reduce the barriers to entry, reduce the cost, especially the upfront cost, yet still be able to produce print uh, parts that you can basically use right off of the bed. Um, we started with, uh, and we were the first ones on the market, with the ability to print carbon fiber. Um, and carbon fiber, you may have heard of it. It's yeah. a very, very desirable material yeah. in the world of materials. Yeah. It's uh, very, very strong. It has excellent uh, um, temperature and rigidity properties. Mm -hmm. um, and being able to just extrude that and print it uh, is a huge value to uh, industries all over the place. Interesting. So... It you can correct me if I'm wrong about this, but would you maybe market or sell this to a company that has, um, you know, an assembly line or something like that, and they have parts that break, and so they could then print parts there? Is that is that kind of something that you'd be able to do, or is that is that the aim of what you're doing, or is it something else? Not only is that something we're able to yeah. do, it's something we have been doing sure, for uh, sure. about three and a half years. It's actually, you just described one of our um, exact kind of use cases. Um, I was recently... 
uh, talking to one of our customers uh, who works uh, in the automotive industry, mm -hmm. and uh, there are, you know, like a chassis for a car, right? Um, these things come down the lines, and they have to get aligned, and there's these pins on the factory line that sort of like align them. And uh, the pins kept snapping off. So this person that also had access to a Mark Forge printer one day just decided, you know, what if I just start printing these things in carbon fiber? And uh, they don't snap. Carbon fiber doesn't snap. So yeah, yeah. there are literal chassis coming off a factory floor that have been aligned using a carbon fiber part, you know, about this big, yeah. uh, that costs maybe 5 or $10 to print. That's wild. Uh, and so that's sort of the, the whole methodology around what MarkForge does is this sort of transformative effect on the manufacturing industry. Most, I would say, the majority of consumers, like people like, like everything in this room that we're sitting in right now has been made or manufactured, right? And most of us look at manufacturing from an endpoint, like what's the product that we get? But between that, between even like the designing the thing that you're going to make, there's a whole process of uh, tooling and fixturing, which is when you literally uh, make tools to build the thing that you want to get. Because not everything can just be built with tools off the shelf. You have to actually design and make them. And in traditional manufacturing, Excuse me. Go ahead. in traditional manufacturing, that typically involves uh, a degree of outsourcing, um, a degree of, and there's there's limits of scale. So right. let's say you needed uh, one tool to see if it was going to work, right? Well, in traditional manufacturing, when you go to, you know, like a manufacturing partner, you generally have to you know, make like a thousand of them, right? Yeah. And, it, and it gets less expensive the more you make, but you generally don't need like a thousand tools right. yet, right. right? You might need it one day, but that's a huge upfront cost. And when you can instead, just before you leave the office at night, press the print button on your MarkForge printer and the tool in carbon fiber, a material that is known to be durable and usable, uh, and it's there in the office when you come in in the morning, and it's ready to use. You see the use it, so you just print more of them. Yeah. Um, so we're talking about a massive cost reduction, a massive time uh, reduction. Yeah. We're talking about a 98% uh, lead time reduction in getting the part that you need. Yeah. And this isn't also, like, it's not just carbon fiber. The reason we're here, actually, at South by Southwest is because of our metal printer. Yeah. So we took this, uh, so we took this idea of, so when we, we printed carbon fiber, right, and we started with a, a thermoplastic, basically just, you know, like a material. Mm -hmm. um, and we uh, put a bunch of chopped carbon fiber in that to make it like a super strong plastic, right? It's still, it's very, very good and it's very, very durable. But when it becomes uh, like an incredible usable part is when we actually reinforce it with more carbon fiber. So you take a part, it's reinforced with carbon fiber, and this thing is basically unbreakable. Wow. These are things that, and, and you, I feel like in the 3D printing industry, a lot of people associate it with uh, things like, for instance, MakerBot, you know, yeah. a fantastic uh, kind of boon to the 3D printing industry. 3D printing industry to kind of make it relevant to consumers, right? Like this is what 3D printing is. This is the kind of creativity you can inspire. But those are still plastic parts. Mm -hmm. And uh, even our, our VP of uh, product right now, he used to work at Sonos. And uh, okay, he, yeah. he has a fantastic story of when he was um, in Asia on a factory line and they needed uh, a tool and they needed it in a very, very time sensitive fashion. So he just went to one of those plastic 3D printers and printed the tool. It broke after four uses. Mm -hmm. It snapped in his hands. And at that time, you know, there was no uh, real solution for printing something like carbon fiber. But so that uh, element of like a, a two nozzles, you have one nozzle that extrudes, you know, the base like uh, chopped carbon fiber material, reinforce it with carbon, carbon fiber, or if you want, Kevlar, fiberglass, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. It's incredibly strong, incredibly durable parts. So we took that learning and applied it to metal. 
Because as you may think, like how do you extrude metal, mm -hmm. right, through a metal nozzle? It's just the whole thing will just melt. Yeah. So we used that sort of second nozzle approach and wrapped it in a plastic binder. So that allows us to basically print a part that you then cook, just like a, like a pretty standard process. Gives you a 99, 98% dense, in this case, stainless steel part or other steels, basically anything that can be metal injection molded um, in just a matter of uh, days. So how does that change the game for certain people? So uh, the first part that it changes is um, it's very, very expensive to make custom parts. Mm -hmm. um, if you go to like a, like, and even not just the job shops themselves, but they'll get orders and a lot of times they'll have to turn them down because it just, it doesn't make sense for them to use this kind of traditional manufacturing approach right. to make these parts, it's just to make one, right? Um, but you have the ability to make these custom things and because you're designing it with software, you now open up to all sorts of uh, custom and crazy geometries that aren't possible with traditional manufacturing. Uh, because basically, a lot of traditional uh, fabrication is taking a block of material, be it aluminum or stainless steel, and then carving away everything you don't need. Yeah. So one, it's a huge uh, environmental waste, right? You're wasting all sorts of material because you're not gonna use that again. That's a good point. Yeah. Two, it takes a long time, and it's very expensive because it takes like very, very, uh, takes a long time, and it takes a lot of skilled uh, like labor, specific labor to be able to do it. Mm -hmm. But if you can just print it, you're going layer by layer you yeah. know, through an extrusion, then you're talking about being able to print something in a matter of days um, for, and a fraction doesn't even really begin to describe it. Mm -hmm. We're talking about 98 to 90 times, 90, 99 times less expensive. Wow. Um, so a good example, one of the first, uh, uh, like, uh, one of the first companies that embraced this technology back in was a little over a year ago um, was Stanley Black & Decker. So they have an innovation group, and what they found was they needed uh, a part. They needed a couple parts. Because uh, what happens is you have this sort of industrial equipment that's out in the field. Mm -hmm. Every once in a while it breaks. And if it's a, in life. <laughs> it does yeah. happen. And if it's a mission-critical part, then you need to replace it immediately, right? Yeah. So if you need to replace it immediately, that leads you to the fact that you need to have an entire warehouse full of these parts, even if it doesn't break. Mm -hmm. So you're using all of this space, and you're, you're basically traditionally manufacturing all of these parts. They wanted a better way to do it. So they were able to print a part that's uh, an actuator housing. Um, that's basically like uh, a covering over like the start button on one of these uh, gigantic fence post drillers. Uh -huh. um, you've probably seen them like breaking up sidewalks and sure. you know. Yeah. Uh, and it's a it's a simple part, uh, so to speak. But it's also uh, it was very very expensive for them to make. Mm -hmm. And they don't necessarily need a million. They might need ten. Yeah. They might need yeah. a thousand. But what they really need is the ability to, uh, on demand, like at notice, fabricate one of those, mm -hmm. rather than have an entire warehouse full of these just sitting there. Um, because also, if that machine ever changes, they might have to just get rid of all of those parts and print a bunch of new ones. And that's wasteful as well. Wasteful and also extremely inefficient. Yeah. Uh, and so moving this inventory to digital mm -hmm. in the form of the 3D models that comprise these parts and being able to just print them when you need them um, was a huge bonus to them. Yeah. So they were able to, with that part, and uh, there was another part for a uh, actual railroad grinder that they were doing as well, mm -hmm. they were able to uh, um, you know, basically embark on using that part in the field because, like I said, we print parts that are 97, 98% dense, stainless steel, completely yeah. usable. Um, and it also allowed them to take two or three parts and make them into one because you're suddenly, you're printing something layer by layer. So yeah. you can completely redesign, like the, the actual concept of designing for manufacturing is going to radically change because mm -hmm. of things like affordable 3D printing. Because you no longer have to think about starting with that block. You can think about starting layer by layer. 
Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it's for them, they were able to uh, estimate that they're going to save several hundred thousands of dollars per year per part. They can get it, uh, you know, 98% faster. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is, just, this is just basically the beginning of what we're going to see as a major sea change in the manufacturing industry. Uh, because when you start to take away these kind of legacy processes, I mean, we're all familiar with AWS, right? Yeah. What AWS did to the hosting, you know, started with the, this, this kind of uh, uh, immediate explosion of businesses that could right. just spin up servers in a second, right? Versus like having to like rent out all the boxes or get the space. Mm-hmm. This is exactly what we're seeing in manufacturing. Because wow. we're lowering the, barrier to ent- the barriers to entry, which are definitely cost and time. And uh, you can take all of those uh, traditional manufacturing processes and start gradually, or whatever speed you want to move at, replacing them with this, what we call in the 3D printing industry, additive manufacturing. Because most manufacturing is subtractive, right? You cut away all the material. Right. Additive is you start from nothing, you build it up layer by layer. Hmm. So with additive, it just it opens up all sorts of possibilities in manufacturing. So the barrier to entry that remains to me, or at least in my mind, um, is the design. So it, how how is someone that uh, they might be sitting there saying, um, I'm intimidated by Photoshop, like how, how is a 3D design, you know, created? Uh, what's, what's that process look like and how can somebody overcome that? Sure. So for the most part, uh, people that are actively involved in manufacturing, um, it's not that I don't know their skills at Photoshop, but they're generally used to creating things in CAD, in CAD. Right? Okay, CAD yeah, or AutoCAD. Yeah. So that's exactly what we work with. Mm-hmm. So our, our printer has this fantastic software that ships with it um, that we call Iger, mm-hmm. uh, that you basically just upload that part that you already would have designed, no matter what, to the, um, to the, the, the printer, push it through the cloud directly to the printer. Um, and it also, the software comes with the ability to kind of tell you, uh, you know, troubleshoot your part to be able to sort of like design and, and yeah, figure out certain yeah. things like in, on the composite side, which is what we refer to in the non-metal parts that we reinforce, they would tell you, for instance, what surfaces should be reinforced, right, to make this part strong. Um, and it just slices the whole thing layer by layer. So you kind of give it like a real-time understanding of what your part's going to look like, including material cost, including time to print, all of these things that you need to uh, efficiently um, run your manufacturing line. Yeah. So... The only question, like, why doesn't everybody do this then? Is it just an education thing that, you know, that's so, why you're on a podcast to tell more people about it because they need to, people need to know, you know? I think, I mean, honestly, yes, people do need to know. I think uh, more and more manufacturers are coming around to it. And part of that is how this wave of affordable 3D printing, like what Markforge does. Just mm-hmm. to give you an example, um, one of the, uh, like, basically, like, the foremost anal- analysts on 3D printing describe an industrial printer as anything above uh, $5,000 in cost. That's kind of 90% of our printers. Um, but like the, I would say we have a printer that's around $13,000. It's our Mark II that prints all of these composites where you can print tools that you can use on a manufacturing line. And then we go slowly, uh, or not slowly, gradually up in like cost and kind of like features and precision and capability. Um, but you're still talking about printers that basically pay for themselves in the first three months. Yeah. Um, so the ability to say this, uh, this investment like versus you know, you're looking at a million machine, right? That takes a lot of, especially for a multinational global manufacturer, takes a lot of uh, like approval cycles and Mm. testing and making sure it's going to fit into your system. For sure. If it's a, if you're looking at a part that previously costs you $8,000 to basically design and outsource and get back and also costs you a month in lead time, and you're looking at a $13,000 printer that can print you that part the same day, it's not hard to do that math and realize that 
the second time that you print that part, you've already paid for the printer. It's wild. It's that is absolutely wild. It's insane. And uh, I think that uh, we're going to see more and more of this. And, and we're, of course, not the only company that does it. Um, but now that we've sort of reduced the form factor, reduced the cost, made this all affordable and accessible, you know, we're, we're talking about bringing the cost curve down to the point where um, you're going to be seeing this being used kind of at scale in these applications. That's crazy. So what are you doing here at South by Southwest and uh, where can people find more uh, information about Mark Forge and what you're doing? Definitely. So uh, we're here at South by Southwest. Uh, we were nominated for an innovation award as part of the Interactive Festival. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We're super excited about it. When do you it. find out about that? Uh, so we'll find out Monday night at the okay. uh, award ceremony. Um, Should be noted we're recording this on Friday. So yes. just in case people are curious about that. Yeah. You know. um, I'm, I'm hoping that we win. Uh, yeah. There's definitely, uh, we're one of five. Um, companies that are nominated in that space. Um, we actually, uh, in Hall uh, 1, um, down at the convention center, we have our Metal X printer. It's actively printing parts. We also have uh, one of our composite printers printing carbon fiber parts as well. And we have a couple um, sample parts and customer use cases. Like, for instance, one of our recent customers, um, a company out of uh, Nevada called Haddington Dynamics, has uh, printed pretty much an entire robot arm out of carbon fiber, um, and it's basically like a, it's, it's not too much bigger than this mic, mm -hmm. actually, and it's meant to do kind of like precision uh, programming uh, tasks. In fact, one of our engineers was like, if we had one of these robots and we could just remove parts from the beds in our uh, manufacturing space in, uh, in Watertown, Massachusetts, where we have, you know, 40, 50 printers that print like 18,000 sample parts a month, um, they're like, we would have to go to the office. Because <laughs> all we need is we need someone, because the printers are that good. That, yeah, you know, you just yeah. need to remove the parts off the bed and press print again. You can do all of that remotely. But, right, right. Uh, so we have that robot arm there as well. Yeah, get your robot arm. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, honestly, at South by Southwest, I think this is a great audience to show these kinds of values of the transformative nature of 3D printing and additive manufacturing. Um, and for people that want to learn more, uh, just go to markforge.com. Uh, that's our website. We're also all over social media. We've got, we've got some fantastic stuff on Instagram that we post on a regular basis, like new parts, uh, cool things that our engineers do. Uh, I mean, our R&D uh, is some of the, the coolest things that you can see every day. Yeah. Like we're talking about being able to print um, completely dense strength to weight parts that are, you know, can fit uh, on, on your thumb. Mm -hmm. Right, and then also ex uh, experimenting with new materials. Um, we're going to. We've been experimenting with being able to print titanium. Whoa! So yeah, yeah. Like so that's all the, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's fantastic. So things like titanium, copper, um, new kind of material sciences. I mean, 3D printing is really kind of uh, the decathlon of uh, technology because yeah. it combines uh, material sciences, physics, hardware, software. Uh, you know, sort of full stack engineering. So we're doing all sorts of really cool stuff and we try to make sure that uh, um, we, we post about it regularly. Um, and then one final thing on the subject of education. Yeah. It's something we've definitely noticed and, and something even when like our, our large manufacturing customers come to us, say we're super excited about this, but how do we go about um, training and figuring out, like how do we solve this design problem? Yeah. You know, how do we uh, sort of transition people from designing for traditional manufacturing to 3D printing? Um, so uh, on that note, we've recently announced this program uh, that we call Mark Forge University. Mm -hmm. um, that's sort of, that's exactly what it is. It includes uh, certification internally so that you can sort of become this sort of champion of additive manufacturing, um, various courses that you can take, a learning library that you know, gives you design guides for all sorts of materials and parts, uh, lots of use cases. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
That's fantastic. Yeah. Just providing kind of every aspect of a solution that a company could really could really need or want in that case, which is uh, which is really exciting. Yeah, I mean, we're out to change the pace of human innovation, man. I'm here for it. I'm yeah. happy to have uh, gotten the interview at this point. You know, in a few years, I, I don't know that I'd be able to get to do. Oh, this don't worry, we won't forget. It. Okay, okay, cool. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate that. Well, Track, thank you so much for taking some time to talk to us today and explain the just some of the cool innovations going on in the world of 3D printing. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me. Multiple languages can be heard by those who walk around Austin at any given time, but especially during South by Southwest. When speaking to Dirdrick Fushtet, you can hear four or five at once. The multilingual VP of brand marketing for Scandinavian Airlines sat down with MarketScale to talk about how the company is working towards cutting carbon emissions and the importance of travel to the world in terms of learning and strengthening communities with new ideas. Our next guest here at South by Southwest for MarketScale is Diedrich Fielstad. Did I get that, that kind of right? It's uh, formally approved. Okay, thank you, thank you. He's the Global VP of Brand Marketing at Scandinavian Airlines. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much, and thanks for having us in Austin. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, explain a little bit about what Scandinavian Airlines is uh, is doing here in Austin for South by Southwest. Well, so I'd like to start and roll back uh, all the way back to the 50s, where we as an airline, uh, when we flew from Copenhagen to Tokyo, it it, it took us like eight or nine stops mm-hmm. all the places around uh, the world and at those stops we had people working from Scandinavian Airlines and the thing that happened is that we didn't have any embassies in those countries so Scandinavians traveling to those places they often came to us whether they were politicians uh, people working business people people from from culture and they they came to us to sort of have a coffee have a chat discuss business so we became sort of an informal um embassy for Scandinavia. Then fast forward to, to today, we, we really truly believe that uh, travel makes you better people. You, when we travel, we become wiser, more tolerant, more uh, inspired. So we wanted to create a modern version, version of that embassy. And what better place in the world to do that than, uh, than South by Southwest, sort of the, the hub of innovation for, uh, for modern times. Exactly, exactly. And while y'all are here, you're really doing some some fun and interesting things. Uh, explain a little bit more about what you're doing here at South by Southwest. Yeah, so what we've d- tried to do is, you know, we, we really want to reflect the culture we come from. So it's uh, we've created an open space. It's a pavilion, which we call House of Scandinavia. Uh-huh. It's open for the public. For everyone, locals, uh, foreigners, uh, Scandinavians, to meet, have uh, have a coffee or a Carlsberg beer. Um, but what we're doing is we're trying to reflect some of the tracks that are or the conversations here at at, at South by. Um, I can what we're trying to sort of highlight is um, is sustainability uh, discussions, uh, equality, diversity. Uh, we're talking a lot about food, uh, and I'll give you a good example of that. Yeah. And we also have brought some good music to to town. Uh, one of the most, I think, special things that we're doing is that we we, we have a, a special pop-up restaurant. We call it Local. Um, it's uh, founded based on the principles of locally local grown foods. Um, we have three chefs, one from each Scandinavian country, and they're all Michelin star awarded chefs. One one of them is, for example, Paul Svensson from, from Fotografiska in Stockholm. So what they're doing is that they're taking local foods from Austin, translating and often actually trash food waste food, Mm -hmm. translating that into exclusive courses. It's a nine-course meal. And a good example is that we went to a bakery last night um, and and collected some breadcrumbs. 
wasted breadcrumbs that normally would be sort of thrown out. Right. And what, and what we're doing is we're converting them into uh, pasta dough. And the pasta that will be served tonight will be made out of waste breadcrumbs. So we're trying to sort of make a, an e- ecosystem of a sustainable ecosystem of food and present that to the Austinites. That's really fantastic. And this, this attitude of su- sustainability really permeates throughout all of Scandinavian Airlines. I've read recently that uh, you calculate the CO2 emissions of the flights and invest in renewable energy projects uh, provided by an external partner. So you guys are really committed to this mission, I, I think, of sustainability and uh, treating the planet well. Yeah, but you're absolutely right. I mean, what we're seeing is that we, we as I said, we really truly believe that we, uh, we need to travel. We should never stop traveling because it simply makes us better people. However, traveling and flying today is not sustainable. Mm-hmm. It, is, uh, it is creating uh, you know, a carbon offset to the world, and we need to be honest about that, and we need to do something with with that and we take our responsibility in the game um, investing in as you said carbon offsetting programs for our, our travelers but we're also investing in innovations and future solutions that hopefully and we have very bold goals towards 2030 uh, of, of zero emissions at the end of the day uh, but we need we need help we need to look into the entire uh, value chain and we need to involve our, our travelers as well so we're, we're committed to that when you think about um, the future do you think that other airlines might be missing out on not committing towards a, a better future when it comes to that sort of thing? Listen, it's, it's tough, right? I, I, I don't want to point fingers at other airlines at sure. all. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really tough challenge and, and, and it's also a political challenge because it's an inter- interdependency between governments and legislation and it, it is a complex challenge that we're, we're up against. But I think, uh, for us at least, it's been important to be honest about it, being transparent uh, and actually sort of open, open up to the community of, of travelers and, and make it sort of a common cause and a movement as opposed to sort of hide, uh, hide and protect ourselves because we don't believe in, in that as, a, as neither people or, or, or as a company. Right, right. Um, yeah, absolutely. When I think of Scandinavia, I think of, you know, clean, simple and elegant, uh, I suppose, mm. as, just, as just the things that come to mind immediately. Um, what do you think kind of drives this philosophy throughout all of uh, Scandinavian life because it seems to reflect itself in just about every area from uh, food to decor to you know uh, architecture every everything mm. uh, and, and I'm sure it kind of is part of everything that, that you do at Scandinavian Airlines as well what kind of um, pushes that attitude out and how do you uh, utilize that as a company well you, you I, I think there's many reasons for that and explanations both the socioculturally geographically i mean from we're from a very small part of the world right incredibly small there's 20 million people in scandinavia as a whole which is almost like a city or at least <laughs> this is much smaller than texas certainly uh it's it, it's cold it's a, it's a very nature focused part of the world there's a lot of space um, so I guess the 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 the, the, nat- the natural sort of habitat of of being close to nature influences us as, as people. Um, another aspect I think which is important uh, is is the aspect of trust. We're, we've uh, always been very much built on ever since the Viking age on on trusting each other because as as as, as being as few as we are, we have to travel the world to learn, to get inspired, and get mm-hmm. back and improve our society. So the whole demo, the whole welfare model is is built on trust, you know, between us. Right. So I think the combination between that probably gives you some sort of simplicity between people, very open and transparent. We're very value driven mm-hmm. uh, as as people and as companies. Very important for us and we sort of intrinsically co- collaborate with everything we do because we know if we don't collaborate with the world, we will be isolated. So I think yeah. that's been sort of part of our history and our DNA somehow, yeah. Yeah, and I think that that attitude, like what you're talking about, about trust, um, 
has to, on some level, be kind of tied into your values when it comes to carbon emissions and things like that. Just that there is a global responsibility that we have to one another uh, towards doing our best in these ways. Um, so that that seems to permeate into that definitely, area as well. Uh, definitely. We, we, I mean, and it goes both ways, trust, right? So mm-hmm. we have to sort of, uh, we have to earn that trust. When we travel and explore the world, we can't leave a footprint. No, we should do the contrary. We should leave a positive footprint and we should give something back, yeah. which is also part of the philosophy behind being here in Austin. We want to give something back to the local community as well and involve the Austinites as much. We're not here just to tear up a building and have a big show and then just leave. <laughs> right. We want to make sure that we make an impression. We want to involve the local community. We want to discuss food. We want to discuss sustainability with the locals. We discuss many things with amongst others capital factory um so so we're we're, we we believe we want to leave a positive footprint on the world when we travel sure and for people that might be having their first experience with scandinavian airlines here at south by southwest in austin what do you want them to walk away knowing about your company or believing about what you do that's a great question um so uh, first and foremost i i really want them to 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 see that we we really embrace the idea of traveling as being a forward-looking, evolving thing for mankind. I want them to think that uh, sustainable travel is possible mm-hmm. and it is something that we sort of together can can achieve. Yeah. And I'd love for them to think of Scandinavia as being a region of the world that they should visit, reach out to, and maybe even you know, contrib- you know interact with in terms of innovation, in terms of driving new businesses, uh, or just visiting for uh, for some some great food experiences or nature experiences in our in our part of the world. How many different languages can you speak? I can speak uh, so fluently four. Okay. What are they? So uh, fluently, I'm Norwegian. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, so I, that, that we can start by doing that. Yeah, I live in yeah. Denmark, so I speak fluently Danish. Uh-huh. My English is decent, I hope. Uh, it depends great. on it's if, I, if you want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been so lucky that I lived in uh, in Italy for many years. I speak oh, wow. I speak Italian well. Okay. And I work in Sweden, so I could add Swedish as well, but I'm not just not as as good in no, Swedish. Not, not feeling as comfortable in Swedish. <laughs> no, exactly. How can you say uh, come visit Scandinavia in uh, Norwegian? Kjære alle sammen, kom til Hauser Scandinavia i kveld for en fantastisk opplevelse sammen med SAS. I'm not going to try that, but I admire, I admire that very much. Thank you so much for joining us today, Diedrich. I Thank really you. enjoyed learning more about uh, your culture and what you're able to do, and I uh, hope to visit sometime soon. Thank you. Almost one century later, the scientific community is still exploring Albert Einstein's theory of relativity. Photographing black holes is at the core of what Event Horizon Telescope is trying to accomplish, and Demetrius Saltis, professor of astronomy and physics at the University of Arizona and EHT project scientist, elaborated on the EHT's mission before his speaking engagement at South by Southwest 2019. He may not be able to give away all of his findings, but he provides MarketScale with an inkling of what to expect in the near future in regards to black holes and humanity's understanding of space. My next guest here at the MarketScale South by Southwest podcast is Dr. Dimitri Psaltis. Dr. Dimitri, thank you so much for uh, joining me here today. Nice to be here. All right, did I get the, I, I got your name pretty pretty very close good. Very okay, good. thank you, thank you. I appreciate the uh, the uh, affirmation. There. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, so you're a professor of astronomy and physics at the University of Arizona, and you're working on the Event Horizon Telescope. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. So uh, it sounds like 
a massive undertaking, right? And you can you can explain uh, this to me, but my understanding of it is that it is a network of of telescopes around uh, around the entire world that's trying to uh, be able to make black holes visible. Am I, am I describing that somewhat correctly? Correct, to take a picture of a black okay, hole. Yeah. So this is indeed a massive undertaking. Yeah. It, has, it has been over a decade in the making. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are more than 20 institutions, mm-hmm. more than 250 people in the collaboration, wow. and we have telescopes in every single continent, including Greenland in the north, the South Pole in the south, wow. Hawaii in the west, mm-hmm. and all the way to the French Alps in the east, and a lot of places in between. And what we try to do is we try to use every single telescope that exists, radio telescopes, these are not optical telescopes mm-hmm. around the world, combine them together as if we had a single telescope the size, of, the size of the Earth and turn it towards the nearest two big black holes in the universe, one in the center of our own galaxy and the other in the center of a nearby galaxy called M87 for no particular reason. <laughs> and we want to take a picture with a resolution to see exactly what happens very close to the event horizon of a black hole. Interesting. So... Um what are you hoping to learn from being able to photograph and view this um, from this perspective? So there are two things. One is uh, we think that those things are black holes because we don't have another idea of what they might be. Sure. Right? Black holes are just mathematical um, solutions to Einstein's theories. Mm-hmm. And we have a lot of circumstantial evidence that says that you know, different places in the universe, every, the center of every galaxy should have one. But what we want to do is we want to take actually a picture of the centers of those galaxies and see, do we see the, you know, the signature of a black hole? And what would be a signature of a black hole? This is, a black hole is something that does not even let light escape. So if I put a black hole in the middle of a lot of like, you know, hot gas, hot plasma, which is what happens in the centers of galaxies, the black hole will leave a silhouette, will leave a shadow. Okay. So what we want to do is we want to take, because, you know, a black hole in the middle of nowhere will be a you know, a hole in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> so you cannot do that. So that's why we look in the centers of galaxies. So what we want to do is take a picture, a picture and look at that silhouette. We want to see a circular silhouette, a circular shadow in the middle of the galaxy. Okay. And then we will know for a fact that what was a mathematical construction is actually reality. So this would confirm Einstein's theory, but how would this change maybe our understanding of the galaxy that we... So, uh, first of all, we hope it will confirm Einstein's theory, right? right? right. (laughs) Uh, And it doesn't have to... Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed, yes. And it doesn't have to confirm it 100%. In the Mm -hmm. sense, we know that Einstein was not wrong. We know that when we apply his theory to things, you know, the GPS, for example, constellation of satellites, we need Mm -hmm. to use that theory to make, to be able to use your phone to tell you where you are on Earth. But the question is, when I go to a very extreme place in the universe, Mm -hmm. do the laws of physics remain the same way as they work here, or do I need to tweak them? Okay. Right? So we're looking for small tweaks that happens when we push to the limit of Mm -hmm. knowledge. So this is one thing about the laws of physics. The second thing is that even though the black holes are really, really tiny, they affect galaxies, they affect the entire universe, because they... People mostly think they suck everything. Actually, they radiate a lot of things. Oh. When you try to throw a lot of matter onto the black hole, matter goes becomes so rapidly moving, almost the speed of light, that there's a lot of energy, a lot of uh, radiation, a lot of magnetic fields that mm-hmm. get ejected. And those ejections, we see like really strong jets that you know affect galaxies, affect the structure formation in the universe, affect the evolution of the universe itself. 
So wow. not only will we learn something about the tiny, tiny part around the black hole, but we'll also see how it interacts with the rest of the universe. See, this is why it's better to learn about space from people like you than Star Trek, because that would, <laughs> they would have you believe that a black hole just sucks everything in, and you're explaining that it's different. But you know what is interesting? Mm -hmm. uh, Star Trek was, the original Star Trek was in the 60s, mm -hmm. and it is one of the very first uh, you know, pop culture places where the term black hole was used. Interesting. Only a few years after it was coined in astrophysics, until the late 50s, early 60s, people did not think that black holes, they thought black holes were just mathematical constructions, no real objects. And it was by, you know, the work of a number of, you know, famous and important people in the 50s and 60s that we thought that these are real objects. And within half a decade, you know, it went to pop culture, which is yeah. going to say what happened today in Big Bang Theory, right? A lot of new things that happen, you hear them from Sheldon Cooper before you hear it from, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> from anybody else. But <laughs> that's where I get my news from. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, the Event Horizon Telescope sounds like a large undertaking that involves a lot of people. How do you have such a coordinated effort across, you know, as you mentioned, the entire world, you know, of lots of different people from lots of different cultures, countries, backgrounds, languages spoken? How do you coordinate that effort? I, I think you picked the right uh, question to ask because, uh, you know, we usually say, you know, I don't mind the complex math of Einstein's theory. It's mm -hmm. people that are <laughs> the difficult part to coordinate. Sure, sure. And you're right. It is, um, it is cultures, you know, mm -hmm. the culture of science in this country and the culture of science in Europe versus Asia is very different. It is funding agencies. Uh, it's not a single place where the money came from. All of us went and asked our individual funding agencies for support. Mm -hmm. And we were extremely lucky and grateful from the fact that everybody said this is a great undertaking, even though they knew that the credit will be shared, they knew that everything will be shared. Right. And of course, we're all grateful to all of you guys that pay the tax, your taxes that, <laughs> that make that work. But yeah, um, I'm dealing with that right now. Yeah, you're, no, it's you're, it's you're just welcome. the right time of the year. <laughs> exactly. There's something good about it. Yeah. But um, it, it has, you know, part of the reason, the first observations took place in April 2017. That's mm -hmm. two years uh, from now, yeah. since now. And part of the reason of uh, taking so long to actually uh, go through the analysis and reveal the result and reveal the picture is uh, part of the coordination. Mm -hmm. And we want to make sure that everybody is uh, convinced, everybody has had the opportunity to look at uh, you know, the data to make sure that everybody is comfortable with it and we move forward. So. Right, right. Um, when I think about what you're working towards and uh, having a better understanding of the universe that we live in and, and you know how everything exists uh, that does, I, I think that um, there are probably questions that you know you'll never see the answer to, but how do you view the importance of your work knowing that you're helping take one step further into, I guess, answering some of these questions that have you know puzzled people for as long as humanity has existed? Uh, <laughs> Sorry, that's a, that's a huge and loaded that, that, question. I, I understand. It, it, it is, but, but it's the question yeah. that we have to struggle with all the time. Mm -hmm. um, you know, most of the time what we do in science is, as you said, taking like a tiny little step that is completely inconsequential. Um, and yet, once a generation, once every two generations, we are lucky enough to be, uh, you know, in front of something major. Like taking a picture of a black hole, mm -hmm. to me at least, is something that is not something that happens all the time, right? right, right. Before this time, nobody has ever seen what it looks like. After this time, it will be done. Like the first time you saw a picture from the backside of the moon. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, it happens once in a lifetime. So. I think these are the events that uh, make all of us excited to work on it because, you know, you spend 20, 30 years getting ready for it mm -hmm. and you're lucky to be, or for those of us that have been lucky, to be at the place to see it. Yeah, it's yeah. phenomenal. I mean, you're going to be one of the first people that's going to ever get to lay eyes on that. So there's something 
I mean, that has to be really exciting. The eureka moment, right? The, yeah, the excitement yeah. moment. Yes, I. Uh, some of us have been lucky, I think. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's more luck than anything else. You have to be the right person, the right time, the right mm -hmm. occasion. But you know, we'll take it as is. Absolutely. Well, you're here at South by Southwest. Uh, what are you doing here at the, at the festival and uh, where can people find more about you? So tomorrow morning we have an um, uh, event uh, as part of the interactive program for uh, members of uh, the team, the project director from Harvard University, mm -hmm. myself, I'm the project scientist, uh, um, a professor at the University of Amsterdam who is involved with uh, global, uh, global efforts and a professor who is involved in the history of science to put everything in context. Wow. We'll all be in a panel discussion they will be in the beginning of small number of um, the four of us will give like Ted like you know seven eight minute presentations about what we do yeah and then we'll be open for uh, the public to have uh, to give questions about that fantastic yeah. if people want to follow along with your work where can they do that do you have a website or there social are media? there are websites yeah. eventhorizontelescope.org mm -hmm. where you can see a lot of that and from there you can uh, link on Facebook and Twitter and uh, you know everything whatever social media you follow Fantastic. When will I be able to look at a picture and see a black hole? Or is that uh, still I, a little I, ways up? I, I, I it's, not, it's not a long ways up. Okay. I cannot tell you when it is. That's part of the fun. <laughs> yeah, but it's yeah. going to be very soon. Well, uh, and it's going to be great. You're building suspense, which is, yes. uh, which is great. And, uh, and I like that. Well, okay, so we're going to play a little game here. Um, so I, I appreciate you, uh, you bearing with us here, sure. uh, Dr. Pasaltis. Um, so, okay, I'm going to give you the name of a company. And you're going to create a description of the company, what they do based off of the name, okay? Okay. Uh, startup companies are really big here at South by Southwest and uh, in Austin, so maybe some people need some help with their names. So, okay. Uh, the first company name is Roadbotics. Roadbotics. Yeah. What would a company named Roadbotics do? Uh, clearly involves robotics. It involves sure. roads. So some company that makes robots that run really fast on the road. I, don't know. I like it. I like it. It's not a bad idea. Yeah. So in reality, it's an infrastructure technology company that uses AI to revolutionize how governments and engineering firms make data-driven pavement management decisions. That's okay. quite an. That I, was right I, on the I tip like of your that. tongue. I, yes. <laughs> I like that. That's what I. That no, yeah. that was my first guess too. Um, okay, so the next company is called Steam Chain. Steam Chain. Steam Chain. You don't want me to tell you what that means. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Steam Chain. Steam and Chain. I have no idea. Ah, uh, uh, my goodness! Something that. Ties up chains with steam. I'm a scientist. I can only think <laughs> yeah. of, of machines. Right? Very, very analytical mind. Uh, this is a company that enables original equipment manufacturers to offer usage-based financing to their customers. I don't know how they ever came up with that name. Steam, though. like you build up steam. Like I guess. energy. Sure. Yeah. I okay. Get yeah. I can, I can I like see it. That, yeah. All right. Let's do one more. Yeah. Sure. Um, okay. New Age Meats. Meets as is M E E T S. M E A T S. New eight meets. Yeah. Okay. Uh, synthetic, uh, I don't know, meat like food. Yeah, I mean, making healthy cell sure. cultured meat. Yeah, I yeah. get that. Yeah. So that's a, that's a really interesting one. I'm, I, don't, I don't know. But would, you, would you eat it? See, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not entirely sure. Probably so. Yeah. Probably so. Just once, right? I would at least try it. <laughs> yeah, yeah I would at least go. try it. If it didn't compare to like the my usual hamburger, then I would, you know, then I'm, then I'm out. But I think I would try it. Would you try it? I would try it. Yeah. yeah. Anything for science. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Support the science community and also like if I can eat meat, which I I admittedly like to do without like having to kill something, then they can. Yeah. Okay. I'm 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 for it. I agree. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay, we can That's agree good. on that. Excellent. Thank you for playing along, Doctor. <laughs> thank you I appreciate very much. it. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today, and uh, I appreciate getting to learn more about it. And thank you some, for taking some time out and uh, and bearing with uh, my questions because I'm very clearly not an astrophysicist. Oh no, no, wonderful <laughs> to be here. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. That's all for this episode of the Market Scale South by Southwest podcast, the second of three in this series. Thank you to track Laura Diedrich Fielstad and Demetrios Saltis for joining us here on the podcast today. We appreciate their insight and their willingness to join us in Austin, Texas. We'll be back tomorrow with another episode of the South by Southwest podcast. But until then, I've been your host today, Tyler Kern. Thanks for listening. <laughs>